All of God's people said, praise Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, team. Thank you. Thank you. Before I uh, bring the message, thank you for, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm so grateful for the men who filled this pulpit, and as you experience, they're all great men of God, and I'm so grateful to them. And before I bring the message, also I want to highlight something Jonathan said at the announcement, that we still have few rooms left for lunch next Sunday for those who want to explore membership at Apostles. I would love for you to sign up today. Um, we, still, we still have a few more uh, places left. I think from just general observation, there are people who are forward-looking. They're visionally always looking forward, and there are others who are always backward-looking. They're living in the past, just from general observation. Very few who look up. A lot of people look down or on the television screen. Now, in this short series of messages, which I'm entitled, Look Up While Others Are Looking Down, from 2 Thessalonians, uh, I must confess I almost changed the title last week when I heard the General Secretary of the United Nations saying that the world is only a very short step away from a nuclear holocaust. I said, I need to change the title of this series, Look Up When All Hell Breaks Loose. (laughs) (laughs) But then I decided to stick with my original title. This four-part series designed to set this academic year in the right footing. I love students, pray for students of all ages, and love parents, And therefore, this message is for everyone. This series is for everyone. But the burden of my heart, particularly for those going back on campuses. And I want to focus on the necessity of looking up when the world is falling apart. Certainly, by any standards, we live in a time of turmoil. Even the younger ones who can, cannot, do not have a benefit of hindsight looking back and can compare, it, it, they have to admit that, that, that we have turmoil on every side, we, economically, politically, morally, and even spiritually. And therefore, it is of absolute necessity for us to learn how, no matter how dark the days to come, that we need to understand how to always, always, not on occasions, not on the time we need something from God, but always to look up. Uh, These horrific events that we are going through right now um, have caused some people to ask the question, is this the end of history? Is this the end of time? And I know there are many Books have been written about the end time, and my book on the end time comes in six weeks' time. But I don't do all the speculation stuff. This is only taking the words of Jesus and literally applying them to our situation today and showing how the birth pangs are coming along. And so, is this the end of history? Uh, It was Henry Ford who, Ford Maker Motor Company, said, 
history is bunk. That was a very famous quote by him. And yet in 1929, <laughs> he actually opened an eight-acre outdoor museum in which he displayed Thomas Edison's laboratories, uh, the Wrights Brothers' bicycle uh, store, uh, shop, and uh, uh, even the house where Webster had composed the first American dictionary, and the building uh, in which a Abraham Lincoln practiced law. So when people challenge Ford regarding his statement, history is bunk, and yet he started a museum to display some historic stuff, he said, well, um, only industrial history is important. <laughs> Go figure. But we know, we know and we know and we know that the day is coming when even Ford's broad definition of history will end up on the, hash, on the ash heap. You and I know that real history began the moment of creation. And that scroll of history from that moment of creation uh, will come to an end. One day it will come to an end. It will come to an end with the establishment of the new Jerusalem where the Lord Jesus said in Revelation 22:13, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. I started it all, and I'm going to end it all. Because history is no other than breaking down his story. And therefore, when the Great Commission is fulfilled, and I'm not talking about Matthew 28, but I'm talking about Matthew 24, where Jesus gave us very clear indication. He said, when this gospel of the kingdom is preached throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, ta ethna in Greek, all ethnic groups, history will come to an end. That's his promise in Matthew 24. This is not my opinion, thank God, because my opinion doesn't mean much. But that's what Jesus said. Now there are some, even in seminaries, who teach that history is, goes in cycles, an endless cycle. We just keep going around and around and around, no end to it. Even in seminaries. <laughs> that's Buddhism, Hinduism. That's not Christianity. That's false teaching. Now, true, history repeats itself. And if it's going, so it's repeating itself, but it's moving forward. It's coming to an end. History is linear. History has a beginning and has an end and has a middle. Now, with these thoughts, I want you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, page 1842 in the Pew Bible. If you want to follow, grab one. If you don't have your own Bible with you, 1842, 1842, page 1842, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in our God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, 
and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all of the persecutions and the trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble. Let me repeat this. God is just, and He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven in blazing fire and with His powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. On the day that He comes to be glorified by His holy people. Here's something interesting. It's not only going to be glorified, but it's, it's going to be a marvel. It's going to be a marvel among those who believe. This includes you, because you believed our testimony. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of His calling, and that by His power He may fill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by faith. We pray this, so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in Him, according to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, it is impossible, and I'm publicly confessing, not just to this wonderful body of believers, but the whole world that is watching live, that it is impossible for me to even do justice to Your Word. And therefore, I'm calling upon You, Holy Spirit. You not only inspired and guided the Apostle Paul to write these words, but You are dwelling inside of every believer. And so, please take Your words that You have authored, apply them to our hearts by Your power, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Apostle Paul was absolutely thrilled at the spiritual and biblical progress of a group of believers in Thessalonica. He was delighted of their understanding of faith, not, un, not like our uh, false understanding of faith among so many in the church, uh, of get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the lid. Uh, he was elated 
that their faith is not like many of us, many in our day, uh, where they uh, make it to be like a big ATM machine in the sky. When you insert your faith, push their prayer, withdraw whatever they want. These are the false teaching going around about faith. No, no, no. You have to understand to the Thessalonians believers, persecution is not something that is happening to some people out there in the foreign land, in, in faraway land, some people who have been persecuted for their faith. Persecution was their daily reality. Persecution was their daily experience. Persecution was more than just verbal attack uh, or being canceled by the, the, the walk mob uh, or just uh, calling us names or just falsely accuse us of being unloving when they know jolly well that they are the most unloving uh, people. No, no. Their faith was so real that they endured physical attack and losing of their jobs in destruction of their properties, in experiencing imprisonment, and even worse. And that is why, after the familiar introduction of all his letters, the Apostle Paul immediately goes on to say, we ought to thank God for you. Why? Verse 4, because of your perseverance and faith in the middle of your trial. And Paul is saying, I'm bound to thank God. I am compelled to thank God. I'm obligated to thank God for you. In fact, the word is much even stronger than that in, in the original. Paul is saying that I'm standing in awe. I'm standing in awe of the fact that you are always looking up when everybody else is looking down. Even in the midst of your troubles, even in the midst of your difficulties. Beloved, you, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I have been privileged. I have been privileged to stand in awe of people who are suffering for Christ in ways that I cannot even explain to you, and yet they're full of joy and the joy of the Lord for the suffering for Christ. When a person is a brush with death and yet joyful when a person receives frightening diagnosis and still rejoicing and praising God, when an experience uh, crushing in business and business failure, when there is experience in unimaginable loss, and, and when they are alienated on their campus, and yet they're standing strong, I stand in awe of God's people. And they keep looking up. I stand in awe, in thanksgiving to God. Many of you know this, that uh, in times of our crushing circumstances, these are the times when our great God is the, gives us the greatest opportunity to experience Him in ways we could never experience Him any other way. My spiritual growth has never taken place when I'm on top of the mountain and everything is hunky-dory. My greatest spiritual growth in the last 56, 57 years I've been walking with the Lord 
are in the times when I'm totally broken before God. Why? Because those are the times when we truly look up when everybody else is looking down. Because Paul here learned himself how to look up in the difficult times, in the suffering times. He was ecstatic that the Thessalonians is all, are also looking up. Let me tell you something you can take to the bank. You are never more like Christ. I'm going to repeat that. You are never more like Christ than when you look up when everybody else is looking down. This is true Christ-likeness. In many ways, I, I pity the atheist. You know, uh, I don't know if the atheists ever feel gratitude. Uh, I, I, have a, I don't know if they ever feel gratitude, even when privately, if I feel gratitude, but when, if they do, and <laughs> they have nobody to thank. Just think about it. Paul knew exactly who to thank for the steadfastness, faith, and love of the believers in Thessaloniki. That gratitude that burnt in his heart is like a debt owed to God. Why God? Why God? Why not to them? Ah, oh, because listen to me. God is the one who gives us the strength to trust Him when all of hell breaks loose. God is the one who gives us the power uh, not just to survive, but to thrive when our world is closing in. It is God who gives us the supernatural ability to persevere even sore when it appears that we have no strength and all hope is gone. Today in the Western world, having spent some time in Europe this summer, it's heartbreaking how so many very few Christians can truly identify with the faith of the Thessalonians. Far from looking up, they will be looking at the television screen night after night. They allow the news to impact their life and their thought and decision-making. We moan and complain at the slightest bit of inconvenience <laughs> that these Thessalonians, for the sake of Christ, they will experience destruction of their livelihood, attack on their children, uh, their homes were vandalized, uh, they experienced false arrest and imprisonment and even death. They were lied upon, and their reputation was tattered. And yet, through it all, through it all, their faith and trust in the living God grew and intensified in intensity. Instead of saying, why me? <laughs> they were saying, why not me? Why not me? Question, how can persecution and suffering actually increase their faith instead of destroying it? Answer, because they allowed their suffering to drive them closer to the heart of God. Because 
their afflictions drove them closer and closer to the God who saved them instead of be driven away from Him. Here's the source of the problem as I see it among Christians. Listen to me. Please listen to me. I love you dearly, but I'm heartbroken over what is happening to the Christian church. Here's the core of our problem. We tend to speak about faith as if it's something, if it's a tangible commodity. Just listen carefully to people, and you, you, you will understand what I mean. They, they talk about it as if it's something that they can measure or something that can weigh in the scale. Um, when someone says, oh, I wish I have your faith, it would be like somebody said, oh, I wish I have your blue eyes, or I wish I was tall as you are. No, no. There are others who talk about faith as if it's here today, gone tomorrow. Someone said to me many years ago, he said, I used to believe, but I lost my faith. Beloved, please listen to me. Faith is not something that you can weigh with, by, by the ounce. Faith is not something you inherit like your DNA. Faith is not something that you can lose the way an absent-minded professor losing his glasses all the time. But rather, faith is growing trust in the living God. Faith is like a tree whose roots grow deeper into the soil, whose branches go higher into the sky. And oh, but it would shrivel without water. Faith is like the athlete's muscles. They grow strong by exercise. Oh, but they will atrophy for inactivities. Yes, Paul is affirming the Thessalonians without tempting them to pride. Why? He goes on to tell us why. <laughs> because history is coming to an end. And we need to be filled with faith. We need to love one another more. We need to hold fast into the hope that we have. We need to lift up one another. Let me ask you this. Do you have someone can speak into your life? I believe every believer must have someone who speak into your life. And you, you heard the story when Jim Wood was here. I mean, that's where we started 35 years ago. And I had people speak into my life. I, I don't know what I would have been without having somebody can speak into my life. You need to find somebody who can speak into your life. It is of uttermost importance. And if you don't, ask our pastors. They will help you. Look at verses 5 to 10, please. I want you to hear me right. One thing we know about the Word of God. And Paul exhibits it here, actually. But it's every, the whole Word of God. I mean, I, I can absolutely, unabashedly tell you this. The Word of God is realistic. The Word of God is true. And, and Paul is showing us it. See, he's not looking through re reality with a, a rose-colored glasses. No. He's very realistic. Sure, life is unfair. 
but God's justice is coming. Sure, our critics and false accusers uh, try to destroy us, uh, but what they don't know is that they're making us stronger. Back in 1977, 78, around those two years, I lived in California, and I I was befriended by a well-known pastor in Southern California, and he used to say to me, brother, when they kick you in the rear, rejoice, because that means you're ahead of them. (laughs) So I've been rejoicing ever since. (laughs) Another benefit when you are being harassed and attacked and even alienated by your friends, by your neighbors, even by some family members. It keeps you on your knees at prayer. Not just for yourself, but for those who are causing you trouble, those who are, tro- those who are attacking you. Above all, these believers were looking forward to the day when Christ will appear and bring history to conclusion. Please hear me right. This is really important. Don't miss it. Paul is not suggesting that those who persecuted the believers should not be held accountable. I'm not saying that at all. And he's not saying that. In fact, when he was arrested in Philippi and they tried to get, get him out of jail, you know, at night and quietly, he said, no, 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 no. Let the governor come here and get us out. You put us there publicly, they get us, get us out publicly. So he's not suggesting that at all. We need to go through every legal means. Uh, we need to appeal to them in every way we can. We need to warn them as to the consequences of their actions. Why? Verse 5. All this evidence that God's judgment is right. In other words, even if they think they got away with it, the day is coming when God will severely judge them. Paul is saying God is just, and He's going to repay. He's going to repay them for their action. God will judge them for calling us, for calling evil good and good evil. They will pay a severe penalty for that. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. The Bible never pretends that evil is not real. Never. The Bible never minimizes pain, suffering, and sin. The Bible calls evil by its name. But don't ever forget also that he's telling us that whenever the believer suffers, especially suffer unjustly for the sake of Christ, God is with us. In those times in a very special way. My God with us all the time, right? God is present everywhere. God is with us every moment of every day. But in those times when we are suffering unjustly, God's presence revealed to us in a way it could never be revealed any other way. God will sustain us uniquely in times of unjust suffering. Verse 9, they will be punished. Not just a slap in the back, oh, you naughty little boy. No, 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 no. They will be punished 
by everlasting, with everlasting destruction, and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, the, the, the introduction took too long. Uh, <laughs> I need to come to my message. <laughs> I'm sure you missed me, right? <laughs> I, I wouldn't be a preacher worth my salt if I didn't give you three points. <laughs> this time, three questions. Now, for those of you who kind of began to panic, don't panic. They're very quickly. Three questions. Three questions. Number one, when will God vindicate the believer and judge the non-believer? Second question, who will be punished? Three, what form this punishment is going to take place? Let me answer those very quickly. First question, when will God vindicate and revenge the suffering of His servants? Sometimes God does it right away. And believe me, I saw that with my own eyes, that instant, but not very often. <laughs> I, I, I wish it's always every time, but it's rare. But I've seen it. Other times, it takes time. But mostly, is going to be at the climax of history. His appearance will spell the end of all opportunities for repentance and salvation. That will be it. No more hope, no more opportunity, no more chances. His return will be a moment in which the world is going to be divided only in two camps, the saved and the unsaved, the just and the unjust, those whose names are written in the book of life, and those who mocked the Lord Jesus Christ and mocked His Word. When Jesus returns, He will turn the world upside down, upside down. Listen to me, please. Everything that is today being lifted up in pride… Remember that word, pride, arrogance, smugness, by lying and cheating, it's going to be cast down. And everything that's held down and oppressed for Christ's sake is going to be lifted up. Here and now, Christ's glory is hidden. Here and now, His children falsely accused. Here and now, they call good evil and evil good. Here and now, the righteous power of Jesus is hidden from the world, but on that day, it will be fully revealed. Here and now, His absolute wisdom and truth is ignored and even mocked, but on that day, His righteousness will tower over a terrified world. And that's the word, terrified world. You know, when I think of September 11 in New York, and you, you see this footage all the time, people running in, in, in fear and terror with the soot all over their faces, and, and it's just a horrible day, and every time they keep repeating those, those footage and you think about it, that is a child play in comparison to the day when our Lord Jesus Christ comes back. They will be terrified. On that day, the very people who are trying to destroy our children's morality and innocence, 
They will be begging the rocks. Think about this. We don't want even a little pebble to fall on us. But they will be calling out to the rocks, and they're saying to the rocks, hide us, cover us from the face of him who sits on the throne. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came into the world, he came in humility, and he came alone. But in the second coming, he will come as the king of glory. Oh, by the way, he will not return alone. Not like his first coming, verse 7. He will return with his powerful angels, all of them. (laughs) Think about this. And blazing fire, blazing fire. What is that blazing fire? What is Paul referring to? This is the fire of judgment. This is the intense inferno of, of, of justice. This is the white hot furnace <coughs> that will engulf his enemies. Ah, but also that same blazing fire will avenge his faithful children. So look up. Look up when others are looking down. Second question, who will be punished? Those who have denied Jesus as the only Savior and Lord for everyone. I'm going to tell you why. This is very important to me. I wanted to, you know, I'm going to express my own opinion, okay? So, and I always make sure that if it's not in the Scripture, I tell you. There's false teaching afoot. Many evangelical churches that says, yes, Jesus is my Savior, but He's not everybody's Savior. Uh, Buddhists have their Savior, Hindus have their Savior, Muslims have their Savior. None of them claim to be Savior, by the way. (laughs) There's ignorance on the part of these secular humanists. I'm going to show you why this is dreadful teaching. It really is. It's, It's absolutely from the pit of hell. I'm going to show you in the next message, in fact, how Satan is using this false teaching, and now 70% of evangelicals in America say that Jesus is not the only way. This is Satan's way of preparing the world for the Antichrist. Look at verses 8 and 9. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole gospel, not the bits and pieces they choose, not the bits and pieces that they like, the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. This judgment of God will be so flawless that no one, no one will protest. Oh, this is unjust. This is unfair. I'm innocent. This sentence is too harsh. No, it's not going to happen. Do you know why? Because they will see with clarity then, they will see with clarity that they deserve this punishment. They will remember with clarity that they falsified the truth. They will remember with clarity that they have exercised injustice. Sunday before last, I was preaching in England, in London, 
Andrew, who's here, was there, and, and, and my wife, and, and I was preaching from Luke 16. And Jesus, of course, tells this is a true story. It happened because he was there before the foundation of the earth. The two men died. The self-centered man went to hell, and the godly man went to heaven, the bosom of Abraham, they call it. Paradise. Not one time that this man who's in hell suffering, begging Father Abraham to send Lazarus to dip his finger in water just to cool his tongues from the suffering and the burning he's experiencing. <laughs> Not one time he protested. Not one time he said, that's not fair. Not one time. All he could think of his five brothers who are still on the earth, and he didn't want them to come to that horrible place. Romans 12, 19, Paul wrote, Do not take revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Beloved, human justice at its best is flawed, really is, even the best, because it's based on limited knowledge and limited understanding. But heavenly justice is flawless. It's flawless because it's based on limitless wisdom and knowledge. Today, many pastors don't want to preach this message. That's why I told you they teach Jesus is my Savior, but not everyone's Savior. No wonder these terrible statistics are grieving. Don't worry about the outside world. God will take care of that. Worry about people in the church who are hearing false teaching and being misled. You know what they're saying when they say, Jesus, my Savior, not ever saved? They are actually saying Jesus is a liar. Does this shock you? Well, I hope it does. I hope it does. So when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he did not say only for some people. That's why missionaries through the years literally took their own lives on their hands and went to places unknown. Some of them were riddled with diseases, and many of them have died in the mission field because they believed that Jesus' message and His gospel is for everybody. Third question, what form will this punishment take? At verse 9 and 10, the word destruction here, by the way, listen carefully, the word destruction here doesn't mean annihilation. There, there some people say, oh, destroy, I mean, they're just going to be destroyed. They're going to, it doesn't mean that they're going to vaporize. Because the Word of God says that they will wish that they could simply disappear and the rocks would cover them from the face of Jesus. But that's not going to be an option. Destruction here means the loss of everything that makes existence worthwhile. He described this destruction as they're going to be shut out 
from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Look with me, please, at incredible contrast. Contrast. I'm coming to the end, so don't, don't let me lose you. Look at the promise of Jesus to His faithful children on that day, and then contrast it with that punishment for those who have rejected Him and rejected the truth of His Word, verses 11 and 12. The believers who face persecution, unjust suffering for Christ's sake. Now, now let me give you a, a, a use of uh, translation, actually the interpretation so that I don't get into trouble. In other words, he's saying, don't spend your time being filled with fear and terror because the great things are waiting the believer. Don't spend your days complaining on how evil the government is. Don't wallow in bitterness at the corruption that is surrounding us and is everywhere you turn. Don't let that impact your life. Instead, you should pray for one another. You should be loving one another. You should be encouraging one another. You should be ministering to each other. You should be reminding each other of the day that is coming and the nearness of Christ's return. Listen to me. What Jesus is preparing for the believer, listen to me, and most of you are now believers, so I want you to listen to me. What he's preparing for the believers cannot be compared, cannot be compared with any pain and suffering that we may go through right now. Cannot be compared. I know some of you are saying, but Michael, shouldn't be wanting to destroy our enemies now. Yes. Are you surprised? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show you how to destroy your enemy right now. I'm going to show it to you by telling you a true story. True story. And as God, with that, I'm going to conclude. During the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln spoke at an official reception in the White House. In his speech, he said the following. He said, the Confederates should not be viewed should, should be viewed not as enemies to be exterminated, but as fellow human beings with mistaken views about slavery. At that, a woman who was in the audience became outraged. She became angry. And she could not understand how the Confederates should be forgiven. At the end, she confronted President Lincoln directly, and she demanded to know how he could possibly speak kindly of his enemies instead of demanding their destruction. President Lincoln looked at her and said the following, I'm going to quote it word for word. Why, madam, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Why, madam, don't I destroy my enemies by making them my friends? Do you want to destroy your enemies right now? Start praying for them. Start reaching out to them. You know, Muslims commanded to take vengeance for their God. 
And that is why you saw the terrorist attack in France and Paris, and because of the caricature and cartoons and the mocking the prophet, and, and they have to take revenge for their God. In our faith, our God takes revenge for his children. <laughs> Leave the real vengeance to God. You pray, you praise, you glory in his coming, and it may be sooner than we think. Would you stand to your feet, please? Somebody here would say, Michael, I'm really angry and tired and frustrated, and I don't like what I'm seeing, and, and, and it's even impacted me and impacting my life, and, and I'm finding it very hard to just trust God for the outcome. I want you to just, just put your hand up and, and I, so I can pray with you, okay? Just raise your hand where you are. Just raise your hand. Someone will say, well, Michael, I... I you don't understand how difficult it is. Number one, I do, but it doesn't matter. If you want to seek the power of God to work in you, even in ways you never thought possible, just keep your hand up in the air. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Send your Holy Spirit upon your people that in these last days we will be light shining in this darkness, that we will not be tempted to do what they do, that we will not be tempted to act like they act. But, Father, we continue to love in Jesus' name. And above all, Father, I pray I pray for those falsely accusers. I pray for those falsely persecutors. I pray for those falsely uh, call us names. I pray for them. We pray that you'll bring them to yourself, that you give us opportunity to witness. Above all, Father, as we see the day draw now, we want to be like Scripture said, stars that shine in the darkest of night. For, Father, that's who you are, mighty God, who can do the impossible. And our eyes are on you. We're looking up in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. Let's go ahead, Jeremy.